morning, I am not the speaker, but I just feel like it is time for us to, time for me to step up and step out. And so this morning, Craig is coming to us to deliver what the Lord has placed in his heart for us. And with those songs in mind, we might have a different perspective because sometimes when I hear different living, how people live, how people pursue life, I get encouraged. And so left up to my own will, I may not. But when I understand that it is God's who, God who does the work, it's not my frailties, not my intellect, but he who does his work. So this morning, Lord, as I present Craig to you, and as I've, we have heard these songs played, Father, and as I have internalized them for myself, I hand Craig over to you, God. He has dedicated his life. And I remember the first week that he joined us. He said, when we're through with this, we would not be the same. And I can safely say, I am not the same. So, Father, I give you Craig this morning. I give you our emotions this morning. I give you all of me, all of us. That you will use us, Father, for your glory. For your glory. Lord, I give you thanks. I honor you that as Greg presents your word to us, your word that is like a two-edged sword that will cut into the places that make us feel uncomfortable, that we will hand them over to you, the areas that we've been holding on to, the areas that we think we can manage in and of ourselves, God. I pray this morning that you will use this man of God mightily because you are mighty and so your word this morning will come to us as you have presented it that we see the work of God that we see you like we've never seen you before that the harvest is ripe but where are the laborers God I'm forever yours God I sing all my life, you have been faithful. What am I doing with this faithfulness that you have been faithful with my life? I can now trust you, God. That if you've been chasing after me, you've been chasing after NLH all its life from the inception that has only has to be God. So, Father, we thank you this morning that Craig will deliver the word, Lord, we cover his home, we cover his family, we cover everything, Lord, that in his frailties and his humanness that he has failed to hand over to you, God. I hand over his family members, I hand over his father, Father God, to you, God, that you will guide and protect him. You, Father God, will deliver to us this word this morning pierce our hearts as we open up unto you, God. Even into the areas, as the songwriter said, that we hide, 
the facade that we tend to deliver, the things that we hide be behind. Father, I pray that you will stir up the emotions this morning. Stir them up, God. We hand them over to you. And I leave this man of God to you, God. Your son prayed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Uh, it's uh, again, it's a joy and an honor to be with you all. Um, today we're going to be talking about salt and light. And um, first week I was with you, we talked about uh, the God who pursues. We looked at Genesis 3. And uh, we saw that from the very beginning, our nature is to be running away. And God's nature is to be running after. Yes. God who pursues. Uh, and the second week we were together, we looked at, at the God who sends. That Jesus was a man on mission. He understood that mission, he embraced that mission, and he invited us into that mission. He says, as I have been sent, so send I you. And uh, last week you got to meet Desmond, who is a dear friend. And I just love listening to his stories. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I just always find them so compelling. I love it when he goes out with me. We, uh, we from time to time, we go out on the streets and we just pray for people. And uh, his heart's so beautiful. I'm always encouraged. So, but this week, we're going to look a little bit more about, um, about um, who we are in this whole thing. God pursues, God sends, but, but there's something that needs to be understood that we need to grasp in terms of understanding this process. So often when it comes to the, to the idea of being missional, when we talk about, you know, missions, we think about uh, trips, we think about programs, we think about um, activities. And... Today we're going to look at something that challenges, I think, that idea. So um, I'm going to, uh, oh, this is a great question. Take a second to read it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Any thoughts? Or should we just jump in? We're hiding. Thoughts are it's in, Craig. Say that again? Let's turn in the flashlight back on ourselves rather than at the world and saying what's yeah. wrong with you. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's look at uh, uh, let's let's look at the passage from where that comes. This is Matthew five, and I think it's important to understand uh, the context. I'm a big guy when it comes to context. Always got to have the context. Uh, and this is Matthew chapter five. If you uh, are familiar with the first five chapters, uh, the beginning talks about um, uh, the genealogy, uh, where Jesus came from, and in, in the lineage of David. 
uh, and then it talks uh, about the, uh, the, the birth story, the visitation of the Magi. But then in chapter, um, in chapter four, um, Jesus goes and gets baptized. And this is the first public um, in, encounter, I would say. Now we talk about Jesus in the temple, and that's uh, as a kid, and that's a that's a wonderful story, but that's that's not really his his coming out. This is his coming out, and he goes and he he gets baptized and he hears from heaven. Everybody hears from heaven. This is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. <sighs> You know, you guys have listened to my brother, Mark, talk about love to love, receiving that love. Those words for me, if just daily you could listen to the Father speak those words over you, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Whew. Awesome. Uh, from there, Jesus goes out and he, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he is tempted. And, uh, you know, there are many scholars that think that Jesus didn't really fully understand who he was or even his mission prior to the baptism and the wilderness. But it's in that context that he hears and receives from the Father the full direction. This is who you are. And, and we assume that, or scholars assume that, simply because what were the temptations? The temptations were directed at the very thing, the very the mission that Jesus was about to engage in, uh, and, uh, and trying to get Jesus off that. You remember, three weeks ago, we looked at the, at the garden. Satan did the same thing. God had given the man, had given given the man a task and he gave him a helper to do it and then satan comes and says is that really what you're supposed to do really and it's the same thing you know god intends has this intent from the beginning uh that for mankind he created us for his pleasure but he also had a purpose in mind for us and and satan comes and he tries to throw that off Every time. If he can get us from the beginning, he can really mess things up. But he goes after Jesus, and it doesn't happen. Jesus fights back with Scripture and then begins what we understand to be his public ministry. In which he says, it says, Matthew says that he went around and preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That, that, I just, by the way, that, that's like a sermon. That's a whole series of sermons by itself. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does it mean for the kingdom of God to be at hand? Whew. Anyway, heavy stuff. But let's just understand this one thing. When Jesus came, he came knowing that he was carrying the kingdom of God with him. There was something about who he was as a as son of God. That he, was, he wasn't coming and just coming for a visitation and like, you know, like a, a vacation or, a, you know, a, a tourist type uh, endeavor. He came to, and, and with him came the kingdom itself. 
and it, it drew people because it it wasn't just a message it was a it was a it was the talk about the kingdom came with power so he said that the kingdom of god is at hand and then he demonstrated it through miracles and it says the crowds began to come who is this guy and in the in Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus recognizes the crowd and turns and speaks to them. Now, why was all that context important? Because this is Jesus' first, not only is it the beginning, the coming out of his, of his public ministry, but it, this is also the first time he, he is going to speak to the world, to public, and tell them what it is. He says, repent for the kingdom of God at hand. Now he's going to tell you what the kingdom is. And it starts with the Beatitudes. And I feel like most people don't really understand what the Beatitudes are all about. But I'm going to tell you something. It's Remember when in Luke, when Jesus stands in the synagogue and reads Isaiah 61, uh, you know, he says, I'm anointed uh, to preach uh, good news to the poor, uh, uh, freedom for the captive, sight for the blind. This, this, the Beatitudes reflect every bit of that, that the kingdom is coming with power. And guess what? God recognizes you. Even though the world doesn't, God does. You're blessed because God's eyes are on you. You know, we do all that we can to try to improve our lot. We, we do all that we can to try to make our lives a little more comfortable. And I don't think we realize that we, by doing so, we move ourselves out of the eyesight of God. The ones who are blessed, the ones who God has his eyes on, are those that the world rejects. Anyway. I know I'm going so fast. There's so many powerful item, uh, uh, issues and, and ideas. But it brings us to this point. He finishes with the Beatitudes. And this is the first thing he says after the Beatitudes. He says to those who are sitting there, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. And trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can you all see that text, by the way? Is that text visible to you? Yes. yes. Thank you. Um, so, so let's talk about this. Salt and light. The first thing that I think is important to understand is that, that well, let's just go here. That in this message, there is purposes stated. You are salt, you are light. If you lose your saltiness, 
you're worthless. If, if, if you are light, you don't hide it. So what he's saying is, look, folks, you are now, you're involved in this whole process. You're bringing flavor. You're bringing light or truth. This is, this is who you are. What he's saying is that you are going to be giving to the world meaning and direction. Flavor. Something about flavor. Like, like, like why? If, if we didn't have flavor, I, just think, if we didn't have colors, if we didn't have flavor, like, I think we would, we would miss so much scent. Like, these things are, these things actually help us to associate and identify meaning. We think about the senses in terms of, uh, you know, we talk about them in scientific terms, but they give us meaning. When you smell something, ideas come. When you taste something, ideas, you're reminded of things. You're reminded of places and people because they have that kind of triggering effect. You, you are to be that flavor. When people taste you, they are to be reminded of God. They are to be reminded of that thing that they said they, they felt when they first heard the words of God. You are going to provide meaning for people and direction. By shining the light, you are going to give the world perspective. You're going to be able to show them where the hidden traps are, where, where the lies and deceit are. You're going to expose lies for what they are and the truth for what it is you're going to help give people direction in uh, michael frost's book surprise the world i know i mentioned that one to you all before in that book he says uh he, he 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 challenges he talks about this idea of living a questionable life and in that idea of questionable life it isn't questionable in the sense that you are you are saying uh, you know, like, is this right or wrong? The question is, why? Why do you live this way? And I love this book. I love, uh, uh, again, it's, it's, it's called Surprise the World. And the whole premise of his book is that we should be living in such a way that people are always asking, why do you do that? Why is it that you live that way? And, and, and he says in that in that chapter about questionable living, if your neighbors did an analysis of your life, what would they learn about the kingdom? Like in other words, as people are looking at you, what are they seeing about the kingdom of God? Are you living in such a questionable way that people are asking, what is it with that person? What is it with you? Being salt and light, you have to understand that that in that god has again he's given us a purpose he's brought us into the process and he's telling you this is what you should be seeing yourself as somebody who is giving meaning to people in life somebody who's giving direction to people in life hey here's another thing when he says you are a salt and light he doesn't say you can be a little bit salty he says, you're either salt or you're not. 
if you aren't salt, you are all you are is let's just chuck you out. You are you are worthless to the kingdom. How's that? There's no in between. You're either salt or you're not. You're either light or you're not. You're either bringing light or you're contributing to the darkness. Mm. And it's not an in-between. You can't be partially lighty. <laughs> the light goes on and it starts exposing things or it's not on. There is a permanence to this under this idea. And I want you to grab hold of this. This isn't something that is... This isn't something that you do on a mission trip. This is not something you do once a week when you decide to participate in a outreach. This is who you are. It is a permanent status. You're either it or you're not it. Um, are you familiar, I mean, most languages actually have uh, have more than one um, word for to be, but I like Spanish in particular. They have two. One is called estar, and one is ser. E S T A R. If you are familiar with Spanish at all, or even any of the Romantic languages, there are there are there are two states of being. One is temporal, one is permanent. The temporal is a star. I'm sick today, but I'm not going to be sick tomorrow. I'm tired today, but I may not be tired tomorrow. So you use a star. You know, I'm sad today, but I might not be sad tomorrow. Yo estoy cansado. I'm sad. But that's not a permanent condition. However, if you want to talk about permanent condition, I am male. That's not going to change. I am white. That's not going to change. You use soy. Your soy. And in, in this passage, in Matthew, the Spanish says, says, uses ser. Tu eres. You are. But in the sense plural, so it's, is, can't remember how to conjugate that, but but he uses the verb ser. It is a permanent condition. It's not something that's here today, but not tomorrow. It's always how you are defined. It is always how you should be understanding yourself as a part of the kingdom. This is an issue of like I talk uh, a lot about doing versus being. Like doing is, this is, doing reflects action statements. There are no action statements in here. You are or you're not. You are salt. You are light. It is a character definition. Yes, he talks about doing good deeds. But in, the, in regards to salt and light, understanding how we are to engage the world and understanding our relationship with the world, it is permanent. It is about 
who you are. It is about being something to the world at all times to all people. Whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're at the grocery store, the doctor's office, and I'm gonna go on and on every minute of every day. It defines who you are. And mind you, Jesus says some may not be. You either are or you're not. And if you're not, we're just gonna check you out. <laughs> anyway, God have mercy. And he does, he does have mercy because this is something that we grow into, but we live in a Western world. I'm gonna get to that later. So I'm gonna stop right there. You are or you're not. You are either shining light, you're the bringing flavor, you're bringing meaning to people's life, or you're shining light. You're either doing it or you're not. Ah, yes. Oh, here's the thing about it. When he talks about the light, he talks about it being a visible thing. It's not something that you hide. And this is one place where I, I feel like the church, the modern church in America and the West has really has broken down. Because this is something that's to be witnessed by others. And yet our main gatherings are the main time that we get together is either through is either Sunday mornings or midweek prayers or small groups or things like that. But in every case, we get behind closed doors and we're engaging one another, but the world does not see it. I'm going to say that again for emphasis. When you gather behind closed doors, how is the world going to see that salt and that light? In John 13, I may have said this before because I say it all the time, but I'm going to say it again. John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. You're familiar with that passage, right? Yeah, everybody knows that. A new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, says Jesus, so you must, not maybe, you must love one another. And then he says, and by this, all men will know your mind. What's not explicitly spoken, but yet implicitly understood, is that when you love, you don't love behind closed doors. Because the way Jesus loved was not behind closed doors. He was out in the world with his disciples, loving each other and loving the world. It was a visible, tangible thing. We have gotten into this idea or this understanding that when we gather as church, we often think of ourselves as, as countercultural and that the world is out to get us. Thank God for the sanctuary. Thank God that we have a building to go to every week because we can go and close the doors. We can get into our refuge and we can get into that place and we can get 
bolstered up for the week so that we can go out and face the enemy again. But that is a that is a refuge mentality. That is a retreating mentality. Remember how we talked about the posture of the church, the sending church, was that it is knocking down the gates of hell. Something is wrong in our understanding of who we are as the church because we have stopped thinking about this idea of who we are as salt and light and that it is a visible and tangible expression. When you love, it is meant to be seen by all the world. And if the world doesn't see how you love one another, then you are not loving each other in a way that God wants you to love each other. And it's not so much that you are not being forgiving or not being encouraging. It's the fact that you're doing it behind closed doors. This love was meant to be seen. This love was meant to be felt. Concrete love. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. The blind man, I am going to put mud on your eyes. If you look at Jesus and you look at his life, it was constantly engaging with the world, touching the world. It wasn't speaking from a distance. It was coming up and physically touching that which was broken. It's the essence of the incarnation. We celebrate the incarnation at the birth, but we don't think about the fact that every minute that he was on this planet, he was incarnate, and everything that he did in terms of how he engaged with the world was part of that incarnate expression. He was salt, and he was light, and he demonstrated it for the whole world to see. And when he left his disciples, he said, you are to do it that same way. A new command. It's the only time that Jesus says, I'm going to command you to do anything. He gives commands. He tells us to forgive one another. He tells us to go and make disciples. But this is the only time in Scripture where he says, listen up. I'm giving you a new command. Listen up, because this is the way it's supposed to go. And we talk about it because we talk about how loving and great God is and that we can... But we don't understand that when he made that command, there was an implicit understanding that it would be seen by everyone in the world. I want to I want to share a, a, an Old Testament story with you. Well, it's not an Old Testament story. It's 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 from Ezekiel, and it's one of the prophetic words. But I, I want you I want to share this because I want you to hear God. I want you to hear God because these are God's words according to Ezekiel, and it goes like this: In Ezekiel thirty six, it says, "Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of Man. When the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions." Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanliness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land because they had defiled it with their idols. 
I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. Now, we all know that this goes back to Deuteronomy. It goes back to Moses establishing the covenant between God and, and the Israelites. He's standing at the door of, of Canaan. He's on the mountain looking overlooking the Jordan River. And he stands and says, hey, look, this is your covenant relationship. Don't do this. And one of those is don't have idols. And one of those was don't shed innocent blood. And yet it says they did that very thing. And he said, because of it, because of it, I was forced to, to disperse you. That's all he says. I was forced to disperse you. I had to be, I had to hold true to my own word. I said I would do it, and I did it. Now listen to this. He says, I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people. And yet they had to leave his land. I want you to catch this. He says, I judged them. And the judgment was exile. But he doesn't say, he says, but listen to this profanity y'all ever hear that word profanity i grew up listening to my grandma talk about profanity don't use profanity uh which was anything like darn it or you know anything like that this was profanity for my grandmother profanity but in the in this the idea of profanity is to speak poorly about Pro, to profane somebody's name is to say is to speak badly about that and say you know like yeah, it's it's to tear somebody's name down. It's to it's to it's to smear. It's to just it's to it's to paint something in a in a very poor manner. And look at God doesn't say you profaned because you shed blood. He doesn't say you profaned because you worshiped idols. This isn't the profanity. The profanity is that wherever they went. People said, these are the Lord's people, but they had to leave his land. God looks bad. God looks weak. You understand the profanity is that God's name becomes mud because of the Israelites. And it's not because they, again, it's not because they murdered or shed innocent blood or because they did idols. It's because they were in exile. Because they had to leave the land that God promised them. He promised, this is your land. It will forever be your land. I'm giving it to you. But the fact that you are not in it is because, because I had to do it. I had to cast you out because of your sin. But guess who gets mud in his face because of that? Me. Me. I'm the one who gets profaned. I'm the one who looks bad. I'm the one who looks weak. You didn't hold your end of the bargain, and I'm the one who looks bad. Not because I am vengeful towards you. I had to do it. I judged you according to the covenant that we established. This is intense stuff. But 
but God says this. He says, I had concern for my holy name. Listen to him. Listen to him. I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, to Ezekiel, he says, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. And by do these things earlier, he says, I'm going to restore uh, uh, Israel. It is not for your sake that I'm doing these things, but it's for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. <laughs> you think God is a little bit upset about this? I want you to hear this. This is the fourth time he's told, told them, you profaned my name. You made my name look bad. Because you were in those foreign countries, I look bad. But it is not for your sake. You didn't do anything to deserve any kind of any kind of coming back. You 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 dishonored the, the covenant. But it's it's because I'm concerned about my name. God said, I'm concerned about my name. That's why I'm gonna bring you back. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. Oh, that's the fifth time now. Then the nations, now listen to this. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. I, I need you to ca catch hold of this. God has determined that his glory is going to be revealed through us. Now, I, I, it's, I've always struggled with that concept because I just know who I am. And I know I am, I am prone to failure or I'm, I am deeply flawed. But yet, listen, listen, New Life Horizon Church, listen. You have been chosen, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, from the beginning of time, he set you apart to bring glory to his name. From the beginning of time, it says, before creation ever happened, he chose you, his church, to bring glory to his name. He decided that it was going to be through us, humanity, that he would ultimately be revealed to the world as great. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Why is it important that we understand who we are? Why is it important that we understand what it means to be salt and light? Why is it important? Because God has chosen us from the beginning of time to be that which revealed his glory to the world. And, and I just want to tell you something. Going to church on Sunday isn't a revelation of that glory. The revelation of that glory is when they see you, when the world out there sees him in you, through their eyes, he is revealed through you. 
That's where God gets the ultimate glory. Yes, God. He is a God who pursues. He's a God who sends. But we need to understand that we are salt and light. That we have been set apart from the beginning of time to be that revelation to the world. A new command I give you, love one another so that all the world will know that you're mine. Show it visibly demonstrated. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for New Life Horizon Church. Father, as you have revealed yourself to them over this past month, Father, revealed your heart for humanity revealed your purpose and plan and have revealed the character and, and nature of who we are. Father, I pray that these truths would hold fast into their hearts and begin to shape them. Lord, let them come together to encourage one another because this is good. But Father, I pray that you would begin to, to show them that, that you are counting on them to be that visible, tangible representation, to be salt and light in the world so that all would see them and give glory to your name. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Yeah.